0: Amen. Praise God. You guys, uh, this is a little series we've had on setting the captives free. And I want to do another message on that. But we've looked at you know, very diverse aspects of what that means. Uh, our, our launching passage that we've been using is in the Gospel of Luke, which talks about you know, the captives being set free. So please, if you will, turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would... Move in our hearts and speak to each of us. And this is when Jesus launches his public ministry. And he has just been, you know, baptized and tempted by the devil for 40 days uh, in the wilderness. And then he's come back and he's passed the test. And he embarks on his public ministry. And he's there at a synagogue with all these Jews, including, you know, scribes and Jewish leaders, Pharisees, and what have you. And he asks for the scroll of Isaiah. And he reads to them, Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And and he, that is Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. So a lot of them would have recognized him, right, having been there for years, growing up there as a Jewish young man, and now he's 30 years old, thereabouts, verse 17. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he reads, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. They have sent me to proclaim release or freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set those who are oppressed, uh, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. He gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is a messianic passage prophesying the coming of the Messiah. Now many people had already understood Uh, from the very beginning when Jesus was conceived, born in Bethlehem, because Micah 5.2 says the goings-forth of the Messiah would be in Bethlehem. That's where Jesus was born. Uh, The timing of uh, the Messiah's coming was before the destruction of the temple would take place, which would not be many years after this. Uh, Whoever the Messiah was, he'd have to come before the temple was destroyed. It was destroyed in 70 A.D., less than 40 years after Jesus was crucified. Uh, The exact date or timeline, I should say, to the very year... Uh, was given in the book of Daniel chapter 9. Uh, When you look at what it says, it fell right when Jesus was there on earth and right when he was crucified it said the Messiah would be cut off from the land of the living in Daniel chapter 9. And so there were a lot of prophecies that had already been fulfilled, but now he opens the scroll of Isaiah, a messianic passage that promises the Messiah and the work that he would do in bringing salvation uh, to the world beginning in Jerusalem. But Jesus, because of as being the Messiah, he would show forth his power to deliver, his power to save by healing the blind, by healing the deaf and the mute, by casting demons out of those who were demon-possessed, even by raising the dead. Amen? And he set people free from their sins. And they're all, their eyes are fixed on him, and he says, as they're all looking, today this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing now think about that guys it's one thing to say that but you have to do that now amen, amen. well our whole date on planet earth or at least in the western world right 20, 2023 AD it all has to do with BC right before Christ and after uh so that he, he, through him that we signify even the date on our calendars we write down dates based on Jesus amen and even millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of atheists are still doing it today. You know, I don't even know there—I don't think there's that many atheists, but there's a lot of them. Okay, uh, millions of atheists probably right. Uh, but the crazy thing, guy, is guys, is that he fulfilled this passage num- numerous times. In fact, uh, he got such a huge following because so many people were being healed, and there were so many eyewitness accounts. Of course, the greatest miracle he ever did was his resurrection. Amen. That's the uh, the, the greatest sign that he ever gave by far. And he's given us other signs, like he prophesied that the temple would be destroyed, which it was. Then he prophesied that the temple would be rebuilt, right, in the future. Uh, and he, he prophesied when the temple was destroyed that Israel would cease to be a, 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 an observable nation on, where you see you know, Jews running that area of the world for a long period of time, he said. But then he prophesied that there would be a temple rebuilt, the Jews would come back to the land first. And the scriptures say they come back in a state of unbelief which is exactly what happened in 1948 after almost 2,000 years. Never happened to any nation before. You have all these evidences of God's hand, for instance, in bringing the Jews back to the land. That's a miracle in itself. And please pray because early November we're going to Israel uh, to shoot a video on the prophecies that have been fulfilled uh, regarding the the Jewish nation and the Israeli people and prophecies that are being fulfilled before our very eyes right now. I mean, that's one thing that God gives, amen. As he, you know, and it's another, uh, what I call a super sign, because it's great to share with people, because there's been hundreds of nations. There's a couple hundred nations right now. Nobody has that history. No nation ceased to be a nation for several hundred years and then become a nation again and risen to world prominence and everything else and is hated by the nations around it, just as prophecy says. But Jesus uh, proves how he is not only by prophecies that he fulfilled, but prophecies that he gave that were fulfilled and are being fulfilled later, but also by his healing ministry. And I think one of the really interesting healings that Jesus conducted that many people think is quite interesting, but they scratch their head like, what was going on there? You know, What was happening there? There's quite a few of those. And I find the most puzzling things in the Scripture, the most interesting, are also the most fruit-bearing when you study them out. I think God's designed it that way. But go ahead and turn your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 9, verse 20. Matthew chapter 9, verse 20. It says, and a woman who had been, well, I'll wait till you get there. Some of you have the the phone, which sometimes is quicker, but sometimes not. Uh, I still like to feel, I mean, I use my phone a lot, too, for Scripture, but I like to feel the pages of God's Word, you know, something about that, right? I like to smell it, you know. Matthew chapter 9, verse 20. And a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years. Think about that. You're you're bleeding for 12 years. That's horrible, you know. She couldn't stop her, her, her bleeding from her womb. Came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment or cloak. She touched the fringe of it. For she was saying to herself, "If only, if I only touch his garment, I will get well." That's amazing that she thinks that. Then in verse twenty-two, but Jesus turning and seeing her said, "Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well." And once uh, the woman, and at uh, once uh, the woman was made well. Now we know when we look at, compare the story in, in Matthew nine and Mark chapter five. And we look at the synoptic Gospels about what happened with this woman. She spent a ton of money, you know, to, on doctors, and she couldn't get healed, you know. But she simply touches Jesus' garment, the fringe, fringes of his garment. And that's the, what's expressed in the Greek language. And there's more to the story. I mean, in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 5, verse 30, it says, Immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power was proceeding from him, had gone forth. Okay? He, he, he's, he, he feels power leave him. You know? And it says, he turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, who touched me? Meaning they're like, you don't question Jesus, yeah.' You know? But if you do, it's because you don't understand the bigger picture, right? And there's a bigger picture here. He's walking in the crowds because he's healing so many people, right? I mean, it's not just, oh, man, I had a boo boo on my hand and it got better. It's like blind people are walking around. People that couldn't hear are hearing, you know. People that couldn't walk are walking. And people are pressing into him, and he's being touched over and over again, people grabbing him and everything else. But he feels, but they're like, what do you mean? Who touched you? They don't see the big picture. But somebody touched him in faith to be healed, seeking him, seeking healing from him. And the woman having this bloody discharge for 12 years is instantly healed. And by the way, when you, Jesus, what are you talking about? Why do you say this? I mean, they don't see the big picture. How many times do we question the Lord and we just don't see the big picture? It's always wise to realize that God is not just a little bit smarter than us, he's infinitely wiser than us amen I encourage you to get last Wednesday's message which was on the attributes of God we looked at his attributes not only is omnipotent or all-powerful but omniscient all-knowing you know omnipresent he's everywhere he's so many things you know beyond us amen but when you're going through a trial and you're like where are you God why are you letting me go through this well we know he says we're going to have trials in this world amen but he also promises he's going to work them for the good. Amen. Amen? And in Romans 8, 28, what does it say? We know that God works what? Some things, most things are what? All, all things together for the good, for those who love him and are the the according to his purpose. Amen. Amen? And if you never tried to memorize that verse, you should have it memorized just from going to this fellowship. Amen? Because I say it all the time because it's such an important verse that we need to realize that he's in control, that he's got a plan. Amen? And she came to him in faith. These other people are touching him, you know, like it's Jesus healing people. And she's like, if I could touch. Now, it wasn't if I could just touch him. What did she say? If I could touch what? Garment. Not just his garment either. The what? Fringe. The, the fringe, the hem of his garment. And that's really fascinating to me. And it's like, well, what's going on there? Well, you know what Jesus had on the hem, on the hem of his garments? He had a tzitzit. Or some pronounce it tzitzit, you know? And that's in, in the Jewish uh, culture, Jewish world. They were commanded, the Jews, on each corner of their garment, which was their talus, to put these, these, these basically frayed uh, you know, tzitzits, which were basically uh, you know, colored blue. And they were a reminder of God's law when he took them out of Egypt. So they keep their mind on God's word. In fact, if we could get a picture of those up; it would be great. There you go. They're beautiful. Uh, They're made blue, white. In fact, the shield of David was put with blue on it later, as in remembrance of this. Uh, if you look at the Jewish flag, it has the same royal blue in it. You know, and uh, it was a reminder. So these were on every observant Jews, and Jesus kept the law, right? So since he kept the law and God's law commanded this, he would have on the fringes of his, what would the fringes of his garments be? He'd have the law, the tzitzit, okay? Or tzitzit, however you want to say that. I like to say tzitzit because tzitzit doesn't sound so, you know. Makes you want to look in the mirror, make sure you're okay, you know. But... Uh, So it's kind of, it's really, really fascinating here. Go in your Bibles to Numbers, because this is really a trip when you really look close at it. Go to Numbers chapter 15. And go to Numbers chapter 15, verse 37. Isn't this interesting? It says, The Lord also spoke to Moses, saying, verse 38, Speak to the sons of Israel and tell them that they shall make for themselves tassels, On the corners of their garments throughout their generations. And that they shall put on the tassel of each what? Corner, Corner, a cord of what? A cord of blue. It shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember what? All the commandments of the Lord. So as to do them and not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes. After which you played the harlot. So he's giving this to them after they leave and he sets them free from the land of Egypt, amen. Now they're on their wilderness journey to the promised land. And he gives them these instructions to put these four cords on their garments and they would have this these four tassels on what they call the talic, which would go would be over, it'd be kind of like an overgarment over your other clothes. It'd be like a poncho, a big poncho, sometimes reaching down, you know, right to the ground. And it would protect you from the sun. But you'd have these, these four, like little, what was also called wings, or these four, uh, you know, these hems, these fringes, uh, these, these tzitzitz. And it's interesting. Uh, Smith's literal translation st- states, quote, uh, to put these upon the wings of their garment for their generations. He used the word wings. Uh, and it's interesting. Now look at Numbers chapter 15, verse 40. It shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord so as to do them and not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, after which you played the harlot. Then verse 40. So that you may remember to do what? All my commandments and be holy to your your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Now, it's interesting. Today, uh, Jews still do this. Many, many Jews in Israel still do this. They'll, they'll In fact, a, a lot of times it's been reduced to like a prayer shah. And the prayer shah will be put, and it'll have these four uh, blue cords put over, they'll put the prayer shah over their heads, the Jews, when they pray. So you won't see their face. They'll just be praying, you know. You'll see the Jews praying with these prayer shahs over their heads with these four cords. And many of them will wear it now as an undergarment and it'll come out right around their waist. You'll have these four cords that will hang out of their waist now. If you go to Israel, you'll see that as well. So many Jews are trying to observe this in uh, some interesting way. Now, it's interesting because Rabbi Rashi, now Rashi is one of the most quoted uh, Hebrew rabbis ever now, Uh, he would talk about how when you looked at the amount of cords and the amount of double knots in the cords, it adds up to 13, which I won't get real specific, but there's 13. And then the, uh, the, the Hebraic uh, numerical value of, of tzitzit is 600. So his point was that that's purposeful because 613 uh, represents the 613 laws, commands of you know, commission and omission, regarding commission and omission. Uh, 613 laws were given in his law. For, traditionally, that's how it's understood by the Jews. And so they would use this to, as a reminder of God's law. And we know for sure that God gave this so they'd be reminded of his commands. Amen? They, they'd be reminded of, of his commands. Now, it's interesting because these garments, you know, especially the ends, was considered like wings, you know? They, they were like the, the wings of the garment, you know? Which is interesting because there's a picture there of, throughout Scripture is God protects us. Amen? Uh, with his wings, so to speak. You know, there's a lot of imagery used. And, and you know, we, didn't, we had, this wasn't as hot a summer as we usually get, was it? You know, but in fact, I'm not used to seeing the, the green, the hills turn, they were green all the way up into the beginning of summer almost, certain areas and seeing me, I'm like, what, in the, for six months, you know, up until June. I'm like, what in the world, praise God, I'm happy about that. But then, what, about a month and a half ago, two months, we start getting more rains and they turn green again. I mean, there's, some of the hills are green around and stuff are you, have, I've been here, I was born in Simi Valley. I don't remember ever seeing this much green, you know, in Simi Valley. I'm appreciative of it. But guess what? We have an a, a, a environment that's very similar to Israel, especially Jerusalem and the southern part of Israel. Very hot, arid. It was a land flowing with milk and honey when it was a promised land. Amen? So many of those trees got chopped down by Romans and others that invaded them. Uh, now those trees have been replanted. Many of them have been replanted. It's, becoming more and more like Eden to the trip. But it's interesting, uh, it's very, it can be very arid and very hot. And in the Middle East, in general, that's how it's been for many, many years. And guess what, you really would appreciate a good shade tree. How many of you, anybody here like to hike? I love to hike. How many, you're in the heat and you just see a shade tree up above? You're like, praise God, I'm gonna kinda take a rest right there for a little bit because it's super hot. My dogs, okay, they love the shade trees. It's like, okay, time to go. I usually walk by them, you know. I don't need them that often. And it's like, and they'll just like sit there. Sometimes they'll run up to the shade tree and hang out, wait for me, you know. Well, in Israel, guess what? You really appreciate appreciate shade. And God's used that as a picture, okay? He's used that as a picture of protection from the rays of the sun, which can be deadly. In fact, Psalm chapter 91, verse one says, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. It goes on to say, He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. That's chapter 91, verse 1, and also verse 4. So the Lord protects us with his wings. He protects his people with his wings. The eaglets, the Bible uses that expression a lot, how eagles protect their young from the rays of the sun. In fact, Eagles fly really high, amen, and they have their nest really high, close to the sun where it's even hotter, and they're naked when they come into the world, right? They don't look all beautiful like their parents. You know, they're kind of funky, and they're vulnerable, but they're protected by the wings of their parents, male and the female, trade off protecting those little eaglets. Well, God's saying to us, because he's written in a context which people could understand that, hey, this is a picture for us of how God protects us From the rays of the sun. Jesus is the son of righteousness. And uh, we deserve his wrath because we're sinners. Amen? Amen? We're in rebellion to God's kingdom. Rebellion to his righteousness. And because of our rebellion, we deserve wrath. Because we have spurned the almighty God, we have set up our own standard of righteousness, and we have lived in wickedness in the past. And the Lord has unleashed his wrath upon the wicked, but he's patient. But it says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness of men. And the Son is sometimes a picture of God's wrath. But He loves us. And even though we deserve His wrath, He wants to what? He wants to protect us from His wrath. Amen? Isn't that a good thing? Aren't you glad that He loves you and wants to protect you from what you deserve? He'd be perfectly just and frying each and every one of us right now. Because we've all sinned, right? We've, be honest. You know, you know you've blown it. You know you feel guilty for things you've done in the past. But He, he died to forgive us our sins. Amen? And he wants to cover us. Now, what's interesting about Psalm 91, you know, talks about thousands dying at, you know, your right and left, right? But he'll spare you. You know, it talks about healing, all these things from him who gives us refuge in his wings, amen? And a lot of people think that means instantaneous healing. But the, the context of Psalm 91, which we don't have time to get into, but if you look at Psalm 91, which we've talked about in the past, it's talking about the day of God's wrath. When his judgment is poured out, the judgment that we deserve, if you go look at it, Talk talking about his wrath. It's very clear in context. And that's what he protects us from, the wrath that we deserve. Amen? So it's an incredibly beautiful promise. And you have all these beautiful promises regarding the shade that God provides, the wings that he covers us with. In Isaiah chapter 25, verse 4, it says, For you have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shadow from the heat. Catch that? A shadow from the heat when the blast of turbulence is as a storm against the wall. Isaiah 32, 2. And a man shall be as a, a, a hiding place from the wind. And it says, and a covert, a covert from the tempest, as rivers of water in a dry place, as a shadow of a great rock in a weary land. And that's what he is. He's our hiding place. Lamentations four twenty says, under his shadow, we shall live among the heathen. Wow. Psalm 61 4 says, I will abide in the tabernacle forever. I will trust in the cover, covering of your wings. So this expression is, is used a lot. Uh, Psalm 36 7 says, How precious is your loving kindness, O God! And the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 32, verse 5 says, For day and night your hand was heavy on me, because we deserve judgment. My strength was sapped in the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I confessed my sin. I said, that is sin, God. I didn't hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to God. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time that you may be found. Surely when the great waters overflow, they shall not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will preserve me from trouble. You will surround me with songs of deliverance. So he's our hiding place. He's our shelter. He's our shade. He, it's his wings. And he doesn't have literally, if you, you know, saw God, you wouldn't see big old, giant, huge wings, you know? But these are metaf- this is metaphorical language for God's uh, protection of his people. Psalm 119, 114 says, You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. I love that song. Some of you know that song, You Are My Hiding Place. You know, it's in a minor chord, so it just really tugs on the heart. It's so beautiful. But the Scriptures also treat trials that we go through. Anybody here ever go through hard times? Trials. You know, every one of us, amen? And the Bible compares them to fiery heat, fiery trials. In 1 Peter 4, he says, don't be shocked or surprised regarding the fiery trial that you will undergo, right? James doesn't say, if you go through trials. He says, what? when you encounter various trials. Amen. So we are going to all go through fiery trials, but the scriptures are really clear that God can protect us and will protect us in the midst of them if we seek him. In fact, Psalm 1215 says, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. But it's interesting. Psalm 121 verse 1 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. The Maker of heaven and earth. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. Okay, the sun will not harm you by day, okay, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going now and forevermore. I love that. Psalm 17, not 8 says this Keep me as the apple of your eye, hide me under the shadow of your wings. Thirty-six seven of Psalms says, How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. I love this one. Think about trials, calamities we face. Psalm 57:1 says, Be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me, for my soul th- trust in thee. Yes, the shadow of your wings I will in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. You can't just expect God to protect you if you're doing your own thing, though. Notice they're constantly saying, I'm going to make you my refuge. I'm going to put my trust in you. Amen. You have to seek him through your trials. You're going to go through them. And it's always important to know, we quoted that scripture earlier, he works all things together for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, right? He's going to work our trials for the good if we love him. Amen. You have to turn to him and seek him and put your trust in him and put your trust in what Jesus... Did for your sins. In fact, the scriptures talk about literally the sun baking people in the end of days. Jesus said in Luke twenty-one, twenty-five. there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. And the powers of the heavens, he said, would be shaken as well. He said there would be these huge, like, the, 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 you know, the, the, the just smashing of the waves like hurricanes. People's hearts would fail them for fear of things coming on the earth. And he says in Revelation that the intensity of heat on the, in the fourth bowl, there'll be. Seal judgments, there'll be trumpet judgments, there'll be bowl judgments. And listen to what happens under the fourth bowl. Revelation 16.8, the book of Revelation, verse 8 says, The fourth angel poured out its bowl, his bowl on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. But who's he going to protect? That's like Psalm 91. He's going to protect us. Remember the ten plagues that came upon the Jews in the land of Goshen in in, in Egypt? But in the land of Goshen, where they were, God spared them. Amen? He's going to spare us who seek his face. This is very, very real, though. It's going to get really hot. You believe in global warming? Yeah, in Revelation chapter 16, the fourth bowl I do. You know? Amen? It's going to get way hotter than Al Gore imagines. Although Al Gore does use the book of Revelation, he says, it even talks about global warming in the book of Revelation. But I'm like, Al, why don't you tell them in what context, you know, about, you know, politicians like you guys who don't trust and follow Jesus are going to get it, you know. But we get protection from the Lord. And in Revelation 16, it specifies that these judgments are directed at those who reject the Lord God. And it's quite interesting. So it's interesting as well because... uh, I want to talk as well about, you know, the color, the color blue that's being used there. Why does he use the color blue? I think that's interesting. Each tassel was to have, you know, blue thread in it. And, uh, well, this, I believe, is signifying the divine origin of God's word, the law that's being given to them, pointing to the Lord. What, I mean, you, you look around at nature. I just always find it interesting. You don't see a whole lot of blue in nature, but then you see it all over if you do what, if you look up, Amen. If you look up, up represents what, heaven, you know. We see all these beautiful colors on Earth, you know, but blue—it's you don't very often see blue. Not too many flowers, some are uh, blue and so forth. But mostly, you see blue when you look up. Uh, now it's interesting because this blue, okay, uh, was taken from a, a, a special. Two colors were incredibly rare in those days, purple and blue. They didn't have synthetic dyes, okay, like we do now. So purple is typically taken from these little worms, which you don't have time to get into. I've taught them that in the past. That's a whole other beautiful, powerful teaching. But blue was taken from snails that were out of the Mediterranean Sea. And By the way, the Mediterranean Sea is also what? Blue. And God provided blue in these snails, uh, and these snails uh, would excrete this this blue dye, and it was and it would dark when it dry, be this dark this dark royal blue. Incredibly expensive. In fact, uh, in two thousand BC, okay, just one pound of cloth that was dyed in this royal blue from these snails, okay, would cost thirty six thousand dollars. That's a lot of money. It was very uh, very expensive. In fact, uh, it would take 12,000 snails to make just one thimble of this blue dye. That's why, and same with purple. It was so hard to, to get, a, and that's why I typically saw it with kings, you know. And to trade for it would be very, very expensive. In fact, when you read about Lydia, I think in Acts 16, when you read about Lydia, and God opens her eyes, you know, she comes to Christ. It says she's a, she was a maker of purple. Well, when it's saying she was a maker of purple, it's letting you know that she was an affluent woman who opened her house to start a house church, who came to Jesus. Amen? That she was uh, an affluent woman because she was a maker of purple. But purple and blue was used for royal clothing. Amen? But God said, you know what? I want this on every Every man that on the corner of his garments in in thread. It was rare, and it was very important. But it's interesting in Ezekiel. Listen to how it describes heaven, and it describes God's throne. It says, uh, speaks of the four living creatures that that it was quote had the and it says quote in verse chapter one verse twenty six the likeness of a throne as the appearance of a sapphire stone. Anybody know what color sapphire is? It's blue. I know that and because I bought my wife some sa- sapphire earrings just recent, not too long ago. Christmas, maybe? Birthday? The one before this birthday, right? Yeah, okay. And they're, they're really pretty blue. I went and got sapphire for a purpose. Super expensive. I spent like almost 80 bucks, you know. <laughs> hey, for us, that's not a little, a little pricey, but, you know that's oh, because I love you, baby. <laughs> Something like that. I got them half price, but, you know, they're probably... The first time they put them up, they probably call it half price, right? So, but, man, uh, but back at... So on his throne, man, there's... looks like sapphire, crystal, just beautiful. So his... And remember, when we read that he says to put them on a cord, right? On the four corners of the garments... Remember, it's a threads. It's these threads, so it's threaded in there. So you know they'd have to spend some money. They came out of Egypt, so they had a lot of the goods of Egypt, right? And then they'd get the dye, and they would dye them with this royal blue color. And it's just uh, amazing when you think about it, because this is why does God do that? Well, He tells us one reason: He wants them to remember what, as they're leaving, His word. So they don't just go by what they feel in their hearts, he says. What they see with their eyes. They don't just walk by sight. So they'll walk by faith. Who's the one who set you free? He's given evidence. He brought these ten plagues and destroyed the worship of the ten uh, these various gods of Egypt to show that he's one true God. Only God could do this. He opened up the Red Sea. Okay, you know he's real. Amen. Now you obey his word. So every morning when you wake up, man, you put on those garments. And so what were you we supposed to remember? God's commands. Amen and obeying the Lord God's commands, okay? Now, this is so important, you guys, because it's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible picture because Jesus is the word that became what? Flesh. He's the logos. He's the word that became flesh. And it's interesting when you look at the scripture that they would get discouraged at times. Would they not get discouraged? Did they not fall in the wilderness because of God's judgment? Because they became whiners and grumblers and, and they turned to fornication and sexual sin and idolatry. And God wiped many of them out because they got their eyes off his word. They got his eyes off his promises. If you were an Israeli and you had those things on, you could ignore them. But if you put them on, you should be remembering, hey, you know what? God's given promises. We're going to the promised land. Amen. It's a reminder that he promised in his words, a reminder of his promises and his warnings. He's promised us that he's taking us to a land of, that flows with milk and honey, amen? And I just need to stay focused on his promises because right now I'm, I'm a little thirsty or I'm a little hungry. And then they forgot how bad they suffered in Egypt, right? And they're like, oh, let us go back to Egypt where we had melons and leeks and garlic and all that. They were not living it up in Egypt remember they were cried out to God because they were suffering under the whips of Pharaoh and his men amen but that's how satan works sometimes when we go through our trials we're going through a tough time right do you remember when you used to get drunk with your friends joe do you remember when you used to smoke pot and take acid and just have a great time listening to all that hit music and you know and 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 you remember when you just you had the freedom to just do whatever you wanted and not only get the things we did as young people and when you go through a hard time, he wants to remind, but he doesn't want to, to remind you of the hangovers, the fighting, the depression, the despair. Pharaoh is a picture of Satan, amen? We were enslaved to Satan, man. Egypt's a picture of the world, evil world system. And so I can honestly say, by the grace of God, by the gra- not by me at all, but by the grace of God, I've never, ever had a single thought, ever, where I was like, oh, I want to go back to that because I know, how dis- I know where I was. I know how real Satan is and how much of a lie that is. Now, I'm not saying I'm anywhere close to perfect because we all fall short of God's glory, amen? But I've never thought, oh, I wanna go back to the old lifestyle. I wanna go back to the old Joe and do what I did before. No, it's all a big lie. I would grieve God's heart. I would be in rebellion to God. I'd be under his wrath. And plus, my life before Christ is, since I've come to know Jesus, man, by the grace of God, I have joy every day, you know? Oh, it doesn't mean you won't go through trials. It doesn't mean you won't get shaken up. It doesn't mean you won't have tears at times. That's all going to happen. But we can, the Bible says, rejoicing, weeping, yet rejoicing. Amen. So even in the midst of our weeping or our sad times that we go through, and we lose a loved one or, we, or, or somebody that we care about is not walking with God or whatever we go through, we have that inner joy that, guess what? He is on the throne. Amen. Amen. He's going to get me out of this world. Amen. We are on the way to the promised land. Amen. Amen. And the key to joy, you guys, The key to joy, just like those tassels would have been the key to joy to them if in the midst of some of their struggles and their trials they looked and said, you know what, God's already delivered. He's already answered promises, and he's promising me a land of milk and honey. Amen? Amen. You know the key to joy for us as Christians is being heavenly-minded, man. Is looking at the big picture. Amen? That we have left spiritual Egypt. We are no longer under the oppressive hand of our slave master, Satan. Amen? We've been set free by the grace of God, amen? And now we are pointed toward heaven, and this life is not going to be very long. And all we have to do is hold on, amen? Hold on to God's word. Hold on to God's promises. So, uh, you know, we need to keep in mind, man, we have a higher calling, amen, beyond this world. And that's what those tassels represented because in the Bible, over and over again, you read through the New Testament, the promised land was a picture of heaven. Read the book of Hebrews. It's very clear. So we're supposed to be heavenly minded. We have to forget that we're not of this world system. The Bible says the world's passing away. Amen. This world that we live in is temporary. It's passing away. But you have to remember, as Christians, if you've come to Christ, you are no longer of this world, man. Been, Jesus said he chose you out of the world. Thank God, because the world's going down. You never, we never forget that we're not of this world. In fact, Jesus said in John 15, 19, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. In John 1836, Jesus said to Pilate, "My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, then my servants would fight. Amen. In John 17:14, 7, 4, in Jesus' priestly prayer, he said, praised the Father about uh, he praises, "I have given them your word." Woo! Sound familiar? Remember the tassels? I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. Then in verse 16 he says, They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Same thing. Verse 19 of 1 John says, We, as Christians, know that we are of God, but the whole world is under the power of who? The evil one. That's right. And James 4 warns us. says, You adulteresses. It's a strong warning. It's a warning that we should beware. It says, You adulteresses, Know you not, not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever makes himself a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So what if I love the world more than Jesus in the ways of the world? Sex, drugs, and rock and roll, man. Well, 1 John 2 warns me, verse 15, love not the world neither things that are in the world. For all that is of the world is what? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And it says, the world is passing away and the lust thereof. But then it goes on to say, but he who does the will of God abides or remains, continues forever. So, if you want to fall in love with the world and love the world and put the standards and the ways of the world before God and just stick your finger in the air and run with the crowd, the Bible says you know, judgment comes upon those who run with the crowd to do evil. It's a very, very serious thing, guys. So you need to make sure. You know what the Bible tells us? Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to the world, but be what? Ooh, that's good. Don't be conformed to the world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your minds. So we're not supposed to be conformed to the world, man. I would always teach the youth or young people, you know, that you're either a thermometer or a thermostat. A thermometer takes on the what? The temperature of its environment. So you're either a thermometer, you're just, you know, sticking your finger in the air and just going with whatever is popular. Or you're a thermostat, right? You influence those around you, amen? And we're called to be salt. Amen. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. Jesus said, we're the light of the world. He said, I'm the light of the world. He that follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John eight twelve. But he also told his disciples in the center of the mount, you are the light of the world. Because we reflect him. Amen. He's the exact representation of the Father's person. He reflects the Father. And then his light is reflected upon us. And that's why I've warned before. You've got to warn out for solar and lunar eclipses. Right. There's two types of eclipses. One is where, you know, uh, you can't see the sun because what happens? The earth gets between, the world gets between what? The earth gets between the sun and the moon. You can't see, I should say, the moon, right? W- when? Because the earth gets between the sun and the moon. And then sometimes you can't see the sun on the earth because the moon gets between the earth and the sun. Get the difference? One is the moon is separated because it's, it's separated from the sun because the earth is in the middle. Another time, the Earth can't get sunlight because the moon's between the earth and the, uh, earth and the sun. And we're, but guess what the Bible calls us? The light of the world. Jesus is the Son of Righteousness, the Bible says. Called the Son of Righteousness with the S-U-N, by the way. And we're not going to look at that verse yet, but it's interesting. Uh, we're called the moon. In fact, in the Song of Solomon, it's a picture. The bride is a picture of the bride of Christ. It's a picture of Christians. It's a picture of those who love Jesus, man. The bride of Christ. And she's called. She shines like the full moon. It says. So we're light of the world. We are supposed to. What what does the moon do? The moon reflects off the. Reflects the light of the sun. So guess what happens when the earth gets between us and the sun, or the world gets between us and Jesus, and we start loving the world more than Jesus? We no longer shine His light to the lost world that needs it. We no longer are partaking of His light. Oh, but what happens when there's a, you know, the lunar eclipse, solar eclipse, what about lunar eclipse, what, what about when the moon gets between the earth and the sun? That means the moon blocks the light of the sun. How many of you, if you, turn, if you don't follow the Lord, if you're being hypocritical, you're getting between Jesus and the world, and they're not seeing his light because you are being, not being a light, amen? We're called to be living epistles, Amen. Amen. Living epistles. Amen. And living epistles read of men. You know, we often say, you know, we say this a lot, you know. You're a gospel. You're the only gospel that many people read. You're the only Bible that anybody, many people read. They'll look at you. And they'll turn to Christ because of your witness. or They'll turn away from Christ because of your witness, oftentimes. So there's the gospel according to Diana. It's gospel according to Mark. Not, I mean, there's Mark, right? But here's another Mark over here, right? gospel according to Joe Buck, you know, gospel according to Kathy, you know, gospel, I can start saying all your names, but, and by the way, those are really good, oh, you guys are good gospel accounts, you're not as good as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but you guys are four good gospel accounts, you know, because you shine the light of Christ, you know, just, uh, oh, by the way, just everyone I mentioned, I just realized all you guys are incredible servants of the Lord, man, they just all blow me away, they serve Jesus, man, in various ways. Over and over again. So I look at their lives, I think of my heart just warms up with, you know, and I didn't plan on saying this, you know. It just warms up with gratitude to see what the Lord does to to my brothers and sisters in Christ and how they've blessed me and how they've blessed my brothers and sisters. What are people saying? What are they thinking when they read you? We're living epistles, amen? Now it's imperative, it's super imperative that we recognize that we are, are supposed to what's the key to happiness keeping your eyes focused on the heavenly kingdom keeping your eyes focused on the heavenly king amen in fact look at we don't have to go there because i not have you turn to another's passage but listen to philippians 3 20 but our citizenship where's your citizenship Ooh, man you got it already but our citizenship is in heaven my wife just was so happy yesterday. She goes, look, praise God, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And she had my, my uh, passport so I could go to Israel, you know, because you got to get renewal, right, and everything. And, uh, and she was happy because she was hoping it would come in time, you know. And it's coming plenty of time. I'm not, we're not leaving till early November, but she was happy. But you know what? I'm so happy I have a passport in heaven, man. It says, our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3.20. And from it we await a Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. He's going to even resurrect our physical bodies, guys. That's a blow mine, man. Now turn, please, to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. This This is a very, very important, it's a command. Therefore, and he's talking about not being partaking in chapter 2. I have time to get into all context of all these evil things and these deceptions and be, being careful and walking wise and that, are, that we're complete in Christ. Amen. And he says in chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, meaning you're trusting Jesus, you have new life because you're following Christ now. If you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking what? Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Amen? Amen. So we're supposed to keep seeking the things that are above. Amen? Didn't Jesus teach that in the most popular message ever given on earth in the Sermon on the Mount where he said, don't lay after yourselves treasures on earth where moth and and rust do corrupt and and thieves break in and steal, but lay after yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust can break in, right? And thieves, or I should say, can cause rust and thieves can't break in and steal. I mean, that's we're commanded, guys. That's the heart of God for us. Amen? And how many professing Christians are like living for this world? Oh, but what if I miss out? Your life, the Bible says, like a vapor, man. You're only here for a short time anyway, you know? And the joy is in knowing Him. The joy is looking at your, the, 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 the seats, right? Looking at your, uh, the hymns of the garment. Not, I'm not talking about the, as the Jews do, because now we have something far superior to the disease seat, Right? What? what do we have? We have the word that's become flesh. Yeah, the high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Amen. Good job, Gregory. We have a greater high priest, and, and we have something greater. So look at, now look at uh, verse uh, 32. I'm sorry, verse 32. Chapter 3, verse 2, the very next verse. Set your what? Mind. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are what? On earth, on earth man. We're supposed to set our eyes and our minds on things above. Can you honestly say that you're doing that as a Christian? I mean, first thing I do when I wake up in the morning, which is usually around 4.35, 5.30, boom, I just seek the Lord. I try to say our Father. You know, I just seek Him and pray. I try to fall asleep again. It doesn't usually work, you know. But it's my prayer time, so it's great. But you know what? It's, uh, it's awesome because... You just wake up seeking him. You can't be my disciple, Jesus said, unless you what? Deny yourselves. Take up your cross daily and follow him. So I love our Father who art in heaven. My mind's already on things above. Hallowed. Hallowed be your name. I want your will to be done on earth, right? Thy kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as is heaven. Meaning bring heaven, the kingdom of heaven, down to earth, right? Which will happen at Christ's second coming. Amen. Give us this day our daily bread just as they went through the wilderness, right? For those 40 years, they depended on the manna from heaven. Amen. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus is the bread that's come down from heaven. Amen. Give me more of Jesus, Lord, and meet my needs according to your riches and glory. Please. Amen. And forgive us our sins, Father in heaven. All right? This vertical relationship. As we forgive those who sin against us. Help my heart to be right with other people. Help me to have a disposition of love. Because in this world, you will get stabbed in the back. In this world, you'll be mistreated. In this world, you'll be like, I can't believe this person did this or said that. And you'll be hurt at times. But guess what? You feel sorry for that person because if that person's messed up, they need Jesus, amen? amen. But you, that's how I look at it, man. It's like, pray for them, you know? And just cry out to Jesus and, uh, and, and seek his will and, and, and forgive others and keep going forward. And then he said, pray as well. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, amen? Why? Because we don't want to fall like they did in the wilderness. Amen? We want to finish our journey. Amen? So the key to joy is being Christ-focused, is being heavenly-minded. As they were going through the wilderness, man, if they would focus on God's commands, right, and His promises that they're going to the promised land, they would not have fallen. Amen? And today, in this world, if you stay focused on Jesus and His words, well, it says those things that are above. Well, what's above? Well, listen to this. Jesus said in John three thirty-one. Because what is above? What am I supposed to focus on? Jesus says, "He who comes from above, uh, I'm sorry, he who comes from above is above all. Let's talk about himself. And he who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. In John eight chapter verse twenty-three, he said, "You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world." Ephesians four ten. It says of Jesus. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. These are beautiful promises, right? James chapter 1, verse 17 says, Every good thing and every perfect, bif- perfect gift is from above. Yeah. Every good thing and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no, shadow of which, whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. Isn't that awesome? Don't have to worry. God doesn't freak out. He's he's on the throne. He's as steady as can be. The question is, is where are our hearts? We need to make sure we're focused on the Lord. Amen? And that we're seeking Him. And I love what happens here because James is contrasting that which is from the earth, even wisdom, knowledge that's from the world system, how it's worldly, it's demonic, with wisdom that's from above. We need to be seeking God's word back to the what? Back to the Zitzitz, right? In fact, listen to James 3.15. He speaks of this worldly wisdom, you know, you know, humanistic psychotherapy and stuff. He says, you know, Darwinism, all that stuff. He says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Okay? James 3.17, listen to what he says about the wisdom that comes from God. He says, that wisdom, God's wisdom, quote, comes from above, and it's first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Amen? And what's a trip is he goes on to talk about how the, in Colossians, where he says to keep your eyes on you know, on heaven and things above and not the things of this world. Listen to what he writes in Colossians 3, right after verse 2. In verse 3, he says, for you have For you who have died, uh, for you have died and your life is what? Hidden with Christ in God. Praise God. Did you know if you're a Christian, your name's already written in heaven? Do you know that you are in Christ and you're part of the body? Christ He's the head and we're part of his body. And it says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Wow. Verse 5. Therefore... What should we do in light of this? What's the therefore, therefore? He says, he, he enunciates this radical truth and then he tells us how to apply it to our lives. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Dead to what? Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and greed, and which amounts to idolatry. Meaning don't let your body run after the, and crave evil things. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, after Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, I beat my body down and I run the race to win, I box is not boxing in the air, I'm not a shadow boxer. I'm going for the knockout blow, man. He says, I'm fighting for real because he says, I beat my body down so after I preach the gospel to others, I myself would not become rejected by God, a castaway, right? Then he goes on to talk about the Jews, how they ate the manna, right, from heaven, right? They drank from the spiritual drink, right? They were baptized in the Sea of Moses. They had all these wonderful experiences, but he says most of these guys didn't make it to the promised land because they became complainers and murmurers and all these other things. And then he says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Remember that? But then he gives that wonderful promise in verse 13. There's no temptation that's taken you, which is not common to man. We all go through these temptations, these testings. But God is faithful, who with the temptation will also give you a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Amen? Then he goes on to say, therefore flee idolatry. Right? Meaning don't fall for the idols of this world. Well, I'm not worshiping at a Buddha. Yeah, but all you have to do is be a greedy person. Because he says greed is idolatry in the verses I just read. And we're supposed to put to death those things in our lives. That was those were things associated with who? The old man. Who we used to be, amen. So now since we are living for heaven, we're living for the kingdom of God, amen, we're living for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who redeemed us, amen, the one who said these things would all happen, the one who's coming back, the one who's preparing a place for us, we're supposed to be heavenly minded, we don't have to be troubled, if you're troubled today, you don't have to be troubled, if you're sad today because of some broken relationship or, or because of something you've gone through or because you've lost this or, or whatever's happened in your life, guess what he says, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled, Amen. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. In my Father's house, there are what? Many dwelling places, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you that I may come again and receive you to myself. Amen? So I don't have to be troubled when I go through trials. I just have to remember the blue cord. I have to remember the sapphire throne, amen. I have to remember the heavenly sky. I have to remember his word that comes from above, which is pure and holy and righteous. I have to remember his promises and that this life's a vapor and not love this world, which is perishing. Keep my eyes on him because when Jesus comes back or when I die, i want to be with him forever. And everything else, I won't ever, I'll say, whatever, worry about that. Why I ever make a big deal about that. Others were saying, wow, I should have forgiven those people I hated because they didn't end it in heaven because they're full of hate and malice and they did not put those things to death. And they cherished hatred towards somebody and refused to let it go. By the way, the word forgive means to let go. It means to let go. The Greek word means let go. Why should I let go? Do you realize what this person did to me? I I realize this. Whatever somebody else did to you is nothing compared to what you've done to God. Because God is an infinite, holy, perfectly righteous being that you're sinning against. If you commit a crime against somebody, it's it's considered a crime. But do you know if you commit a crime against a police officer? It's even bigger penalty. Why? Because of his position. Well, think about when you commit a crime against the infinite, uncreated creator of all things who's thrice holy. And not just one crime, but thousands of the psalmists talked about my sins are like the hairs of my head, you know? Just a bunch of them, man. You're in huge trouble. But he chooses to forgive you. Amen. If you just put your trust in what Jesus did on the cross in paying for your sins. But if I say no, I and I don't want to get into the parable of the ten thousand talents, the, the, the unmerciful servant, because that'll take a little bit too long. But there's a great picture right there where Jesus says this guy's forgiven all this stuff, and then he won't forgive somebody who sinned minimally compared to what he did against against his master. That's us. Let it go, man. And by the way, if you let it go, you'll be so blessed in your walk with God. You'll be set free. Because so many people are bound, they're professing themselves to be Christians, but they're bound with unforgiveness, hatred, anger, malice. Because of what somebody did to them. They allow Satan to get a foothold in their hearts. That person's probably not even thinking what they did to you. They probably don't even remember, maybe. or maybe they remember. Pray for that person. They need, they need to be delivered if they're in rebellion to God. Amen? So if they're in rebellion to God, pray for their forgiveness. If they got right with God, praise God. They're going to heaven. Well, wait a minute, they're not going to even, well, guess what? You're not even going to pay for what you did if you're trusting Jesus, amen, against God. So don't, you need to let things go, man. A boss, a family member, a friend that hurt you, you know, a boyfriend, a girlfriend that hurt you, whatever, man. I'm not saying irresponsibly just ignore everything that's happened. If somebody is sinning against you, you need to, They're complain to be Christian, Matthew 18, you're supposed to confront them. And if they refuse to repent, you're supposed to bring one or two with you. If they still refuse to repent, then you be for the church, right? That the church could deal with them, the leadership of the church. If they still refuse to repent, then they're not able to be here because you have to repent. The Bible, Jesus said, unless you repent, you all likewise perish, amen? It's not because God hates that person, right? He doesn't want them that person in their kingdom. Although there's a sense in which he hates all people as far as his pure, holy, righteous wrath against the wicked. But he loves, the, so love the world, amen, it says, that he gave his only begotten Son for everybody because he wants everybody to be saved, but I'll tell you what, man, if someone's in rebellion to God in the church and they, continue, and they continue to steal from people or commit adultery or whatever that might be, guess what? You, I'm sorry, you can't be in this fellowship because the Bible says a little bit of leaven, leaven's a whole lump, you ruin the whole church. Because if you, we just say that's no big deal, just spread to other people and then sin will spread and then we'll be like just the world. And thousands of churches are like that, by the way. They don't deal with sin, you know. I'm talking about just rampant, unrepentant rebellion. But guess what? That person who's lost in sinned, you should, your heart should break for them. You, do you realize they're going to hell, the person that's sinned against you, if they're not right with God? Have a little compassion. You know what? I deserve hell too. But God had mercy on me. God, help me have your mercy. And the only way we can be, have the mercy that we need is by that divine agape, that love that God has. We, can't, we don't have enough love to muster up in our own hearts because there's no, no good thing, the Bible says, that dwells in our flesh. Amen? But that's where you need the love of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Amen? So you say, you know, God help me love more. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, peace, joy, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. What does the Bible say in Romans 13? If I have not love, I, uh, I'm what? <laughs> Noisy gong. I'm basically nothing. Amen? We need to make sure that we have the Lord and that we're walking in His love. Because it's interesting, the language he uses here is very, really, very interesting because he goes on to say, Verse six, for it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. Okay, then he says this, and I think it's interesting, but now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self and its evil practices and have put on the new self who is, in, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Now I love this because he uses this take off, put on language similar to Paul, what Paul says in the book of Ephesians. Listen to what Paul says. He uses the analogy of clothes, of putting off and putting on. He uses the Greek words actually are used over and over again for putting off clothes and putting on new clothes. Listen, Ephesians four 30, twenty. So when the Jews got up in the morning and they were in their wilderness, what would they put on? they put on their talus, right? They'd have the fringes of their garments in blue, right? Well, they'd put on new clothes. Ephesians 4.20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard uh, about Christ and were taught in him according to the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, And to be made new with the attitude of your minds, renewed the attitude of your minds, and put on what? To put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So we have to put on the new clothes, guys? So you wake up in the morning, man. You don't put literal blue cords on. You put something that they symbolize on. The Word of God, amen? Amen. The Bible says to be clothed in Christ in, in Romans chapter 13. Put on the armor of light and be clothed in Christ. Amen. We put on Jesus. Amen. He is our righteousness. Well, I like those little, they look pretty. These. I, 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 that's not what it's talking about, man, in the New Testament. We're under the new covenant. Amen. You have something far superior to them. You have the word became flesh that dwelt among us who wants to dwell in your hearts and permeate your entire body, not just the fringes of your garments. Amen. Amen. And by the way, this woman, what in the world is she doing, man? She's going to Jesus and she sees these tzitzits, right? And she's like... Wanted to grab him. I, if I could just, you know, touch the hem of his garments. But guess what? Did you know that it was unlawful for her to even be going about? We read Leviticus 15.25. It says, if a woman has a discharge beyond that period, meaning her, beyond her normal period, all the days of her impure discharge, she shall be, continue as though in her menstrual impurity she is unclean. So this woman was unclean for 12 years, would not be allowed in the temple. But guess who she's going to? She's going to Jesus. According to the law, I mean, what is she doing? She's going to Jesus. And yay, that's good commentary right there. If I was writing a Bible commentary on this verse that was going to be published, I'd write yay right there. And give you credit. I put it in quotes. You know? But... These tassels, they represented the word of God, as we've seen. They represented uh, the purity of God's word, and Jesus was, is pure. They represented his authority, because he's the word of God that's come flesh, right? They represented royalty, for sure. He's the royal king, amen? But you know what's a the trip? They also have a prophetic representation. What, where did she get this whole idea? Where, did, where in the world did she get this idea? If I could touch the hem of his garments, you know, the wings of his garments, if I could just touch them. Well, let's go to, what's that? Her faith, now she had faith, but faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Where did her faith come from? Let's put up Malachi chapter four, verse two. Look what her Bible taught her, which is probably where she got this idea, because it's a prophecy of Jesus coming in Malachi chapter four, verse two. We'll go and put that up there. Look what it says. But unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with what? Healing Healing in his what? Wings. Wings, kanaf. Okay, same Hebrew word that's used, used translate corner or fringes, right? Elsewhere, uh, kanaf. There'll be healing in his wings, and you shall go forth and grow as calves of the stall. Grow up meaning mature, be healthy, you know? So what does she do? The son of righteousness is there. She sees his wings, which he sees as a kanaf. She sees these little tassel type things. And what does she do? If I could just touch the hem of his garment. She grabs one. And what happens? Because what does it say in Malachi 4.2 of the Son of Righteousness? There's what? Healing, Healing in his what? Wings. In his wings. She had faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the Old Testament prophets prophesied in Isaiah three five in her Bible of the Messiah. It says, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are Healed. healed. And it says, goes on to say right after that, all of us like sheep have gone astray, but he's laid the iniquity of us all upon him. I love that. You know what it says in Mark chapter? Now you say, well, that's great for that woman, but I'm going through something really severe right now. Joe, I'm going through, I have, I'm heartbroken. Well, Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted right there in Luke chapter four that we read. Amen. Whatever you're going through, he's there for you. You know what it says in Mark which is kind of a trip because after it says that about this woman, guess what happened afterwards? It speaks of how they crossed uh, over and came to the land of the, uh, Ganasarit. That's where that demoniac was, right? And moored uh, to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, immediately the people, recognizing him, this is beginning in Mark six fifty-three, and ran about that whole country and began to carry here and there all the pallets of those who were sick to the place uh, that, where they heard he was. And wherever he entered uh, the villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and imploring him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak. And as many as touched it were being cured. Because the son of righteousness had come with healing in his wings. Remember Ruth? Remember she was a, a pagan? She was unclean. But she went as a Moabite. That's right, she's an unclean Moabite. But guess what? She lost everything. She went to Boaz, whom Jesus descended from, by the way, from the line of David, right? And the scriptures tell us that she went up to him because he was a kinsman redeemer by the Mosaic law. He could redeem her and buy her with the land, right? And get her. And she went to him at night and laid next to him. And what did he do? She did this. She put the corner of his blanket over her amen we have refuge he she's a picture of us the church the bride she's the bride jesus is the descendant from boaz from david right he's the son of david we just simply need to turn to jesus and we'll be covered by his righteousness from the wrath that we deserve amen and we'll be healed and forgiven of our sins amen now as far as physical healing goes that ultimately comes at the resurrection we'll all be healed at the resurrection who know jesus amen There'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more disease, amen? Sometimes you'll get healed right in here and now. That's why we pray right now too, amen? Because he does that. We've seen that as well. But guess what? We all get healed instantly when we do. We come to him in faith. Stretch out your hand in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? Turn to him and you'll receive eternal life, amen? Because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through what? Me. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me shall not perish but shall have what? eternal life man so if you want eternal life man the son of righteousness has come amen there's healing in his wings and guess what he's in our midst today the Bible says that Jesus walked in the midst of the lampstands the lampstands are the churches he has thousands of churches amen he walked in our midst he's here he's a prayer away and the Bible says whoever comes to him he will not cast away in fact Jesus said that whoever comes to him will not cast away you don't see him pushing any of these people away that came to him for salvation not a one He's willing to heal you. All you have to do is turn to him in faith. If you haven't done that, today's the day, man. If you do not have eternal life, man, why would you not receive the free gift of eternal life that blows any other gift away that you could ever have? It's a free gift. Well, I'm not good enough. None of us are good enough. We're all sinners saved by God's grace, amen? Then he gives us the free gift of salvation if we turn to him in faith, amen? Hey, are you okay going to hell? Are you gonna be okay there forever? Are you okay rejecting Jesus and just doing your own thing in this short life and then spending eternity in hell? And you'll be haunted by this sermon. You'll be haunted by this message. You'll be like, man, he promised, he showed how Jesus healed the woman. He'll heal anybody who comes out and touches him and give them eternal life. And I rejected it. I can't believe I did that. Don't do that. Turn to Jesus now while there's still time for you to be saved. Amen? And you'll have eternal life. Amen? Praise God. I hope you do that. Because Jesus said, again, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He's the one that died for all your sins. He paid for the crimes that you committed against God so you would be forgiven. Then he rose again and conquered the grave and he's coming back again, amen? Praise God. Let's uh, all please stand. We're gonna